unquote, making a statement about a group of people. I think that the outrage that is being shown uh, about these ads from Balian, uh, Balenciaga. was for me um, and radiology so since I hadn't been to college I had to do all of my basics and stuff so I did a year of that and then I got accepted into the uh, Coleman College Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Rick Wallace, and I'm here with my co-host, Tiffany Okendo. Uh, I have been doing the Ascension podcast, which has been a lot of names over the last couple of years, but uh, I've been doing it for a while, and I've been doing a lot of uploads. You've seen a lot of things from like another podcast I do with a partner of mine, Dr. Michael Blanchard, uh, the teachers. Uh, you've seen some other things from the Black Voice but when we talk about ascension, we're talking about climbing. We're talking about elevating ourselves. We're talking about taking ourselves to the next level. And I've observed this young lady for almost a decade now. It's crazy how time flies and watched her growth and watched her progress and deal with her own issues and become who she is now. Uh, and I felt the time was right. So I asked her to be a part of this and she uh, fortunately said, yes, I am so excited to have her on board. Uh, Tiffany, I'm going to let you tell them who you are, uh, you know, you know, a little bit about yourself. And today we're going to talk about childhood trauma and how it plays out over our lives. And I think that being a part of the Afro, uh, the uh, African-American or Afrocentric uh, community, we have a unique history of trauma and how we deal with trauma. And we're going to unpack it. Uh, hopefully, we're going to leave you with some suggestions. We're going to leave you with some opportunities. Uh, both of us are qualified to work with individuals if they decide that they want to reach out and work with us. Uh, but we want to give you some content that you can look into and understand yourself and then share. So Tiffany, tell them a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, hello everyone, my name is Tiffany Okinda. Um, I am a mother, first off. Um, I am a businesswoman. I am an entrepreneur. Uh, I am just, you know, a woman who's trying to make her stamp here in the world. Um, we all have a purpose and that's what I'm driven to do, um, to find my purpose, not only mine, but help others find theirs as well and transform their lives in a way they thought never was possible, um, which is nothing is never impossible. So um, that is what I'm here to do. That's who I am. Um, I teach my daughters the same thing. And um, this is just, you know, the first step into me speaking and uh, for the world basically to hear my voice. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, in, in your progress, and as I've observed, you've, you've come and you've basically been able to break down uh, your life, starting with your childhood. Uh, and it's given you some insight and it's given you the path to growth and you've given yourself the permission to do what's necessary. Uh, I guess my question to you would be how or what was it that challenged you to say, okay, I'm different? Because uh, one of the things I thought that was most beautiful, and by the way, if you don't mind telling them uh, when, you, when you answer this question uh, about your website, about your business, she has a, a YouTube channel called Authentically Tiffany, uh, and she tells her story. So literally in a series of episodes you get to see her life unfold and you get to see the journey um but you know at what point did you understand 
that that was something at play in your life that was impacting you in a way that you weren't satisfied with and you decided you were going to do something different? Uh, well, there's many things uh, throughout the course of my life. Um, I think as we all live our life, we're always given um, signs uh, of when things aren't going right and we need right. to take another path. But most of us, we don't tap into that um, that intuition. We have we all have it, but uh, we really are going off what we want um, and, and at, at the moment um, and we ignore it. So throughout my course of life, it's always presented itself. Um, just recently, uh, I decided to, to, uh, to take action, uh, which is in the year 2020. Um, but as a little girl, I've always been this person to speak. Um, I've always found myself speaking, um, even if it was just by myself, just to myself. I know that sounds kind of weird, but <laughs> I would do that a lot and speak out loud. Um, and I don't think I've ever told anyone that, but um, I would do it in my room and I would speak. And I never understood why I would do it, but I know I felt comfortable doing it. Um, that stopped uh, when throughout my childhood as I experienced different things in my ch childhood to, to make me uh, be quiet. But um, up in, like I said, in 2020, uh, it was... Um, I was in New York. I was living in New York at the time, and I just was going through a lot of things personally um, in my professional life and in my personal um, intimate life. Um, and it, it, it all came to a head. And I literally just had to say, this is not what I want. Uh, and something was telling me, the intuition was telling me I needed to go a different path. And I just I, I took that leap and I just took it. Um, and it led me to where I am now. Um, which couldn't have been a better choice for me. Um, I made the best decision of my life um, in 2021. So uh, I don't know if that's answered your question, but no, no, I mean it, it, it's great. I think I think you did a great job of answering the question. Um, I didn't want to get too deep into like right, right. I think you know because this is going to be an ongoing thing. I think over time we'll unpack both of our lives, mm -hmm. and people will get to know who don't know you know, my story, you know, having been born to a 15 year old mom and an absentee father, never meeting my father ever. I mean, the first time I see my father's at his funeral and that shaped so much of what I was doing. I tell people all the time, you don't understand the impact. I, I just got from the client and, you know, some of the childhood traumas they went through. I'm like, my God, no wonder we're here. And we have to unpack that. But, you know, I, I tell people all the time, in writing the 25 books, the first book was The Invisible Father, Reversing the Curse of a Fatherless Generation. And that book was so cathartic. Now, I wrote that book in my 30s. So, but what I realized is I have been, by all people's uh, definition, I had been successful as an adult coming from uh, a neighborhood where, where poverty existed. We weren't necessarily poor. Uh, my mom owned her own beauty salon. My dad was a master welder. So we weren't poor, but they bought a home in a community that over time produced poverty. They just would refuse to move. Mm -hmm. So it was all around me and it wasn't a lot of positivity, but for me to come out of that and do what I had done to that point, everybody thought it was exceptional, but there would come a point where I started to write this book and I realized that every success that I had had since my father's funeral when I was 14 was me trying to prove to a dead man that I was worthy of his love. I was pushing and fighting to make myself could never. And I had to get past that. And that's just on the surface of what we go through and what we experience in life. And so I've 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 had the privilege of you know watching authentic authentically Tiffany and then just observing you uh as you move throughout the little uh things that we all try to navigate without 
exposing too much of our personal lives on social media, but I don't think people really realize just how much they tell about themselves when they post. And, 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 you know, and with someone like me who has a background in psychology and a background in media, I see it from two different perspectives. I see it from the psychological implications and the healing and the mental health and all of that. But I also see it in how easily you are to be manipulated and controlled by the messages and the masses and, and how people are group thinkers. You get enough people saying it, everybody starts saying it, everybody starts doing it, and bam, there you are. And so it's amazing. But let's talk for a minute. I think everybody at some level understands psychosomatics. Uh, psychosomatics is simply the influence of your mental health on your physical health. Um, stress anxiety, worry, and how it impacts you in your health. Uh, but when we talk, start talking about trauma, we're talking about a different level of anxiety and worry. And we're talking about uh, the, little, the literal uh, recording of an event on a cellular level in every cell of the body and how it influences behavior, how it influences subconscious thinking, how it becomes a part of your habitual nature. And you're looking up and you're saying, I can't get this, I can't get this, I can't get this. And you stopped. I stopped. And we sit up and we say, wait a minute. We're smart. I'm smart. I know that if I'm getting the same results, it's because I'm doing something the same way that I shouldn't be doing. If I want the results to change, I have to change what I'm doing. You made two major moves in a very short period of time from Houston to New York, from New York to Atlanta. And there's a lot going on in that time, but it's you sitting up. And first of all, believing enough in yourself to trust your tuition. And I want to say this, and then I want to let you speak. You, you mentioned tuition, and then you mentioned uh, what we want. There's a book, I don't know if you've read it, but it's a book by Malcolm Gladwell called Blink. No, I haven't read it. Oh, my God. It's all about tuition. It's all about how God literally gifted us with our tuition to keep us out of a bunch of stuff that we get into. We are perfectly uh, made. Let's just say, let's put it that way. We yes. are no mistake in how we were made and how we are able to navigate perfectly through this life. But trauma interrupts that. Tra Go ahead. But yeah, so in Blink, real real quickly, because it, it plays a role in this, uh, one of the things that trauma does is it inter interrupts intuition and it makes you not trust yourself. And so you start creating these checklists. I want this, this, this. And it's so many of my clients that I've dealt with this. But I read Blink a while ago, years ago. And in this book, he's pointing out all these different instances throughout history where people saw something and immediately knew something and dismissed it because the evidence said something different. Uh, and he goes on and then, but there's this one point where he points out, he says, there was this uh, experiment where they took all these different students and they gave them exposure to this one professor at varying degrees. Some got to sit in his, his class and watch his whole lecture. Others got to listen to the lecture. Others got to listen to the lecture in, 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 in excerpts. Some only got to walk by and peer into the window, peering through the window at, at Adam for 10 seconds. And at the end of this experiment, they were all asked to give certain assessments of who he was and you know the type of person he was and all that. They had these, you know, obviously uh clinical questions lined up. And amazingly, the people who had the least exposure to him, who only had to trust what they felt at that moment, were more accurate. And I had a client where she came to me because her husband cheated. And she kept saying the same thing over and over again. I didn't see it coming. There were no signs. I didn't see it coming. And I'm saying, you saw it, you didn't want to. 
you saw it, but you overrode it. No, I didn't see it. So I have this thing I do. I, I call it layer peeling. I peel back layer after layer over time, over session, over session, where I allow a person to trust me, where we talk about things at a pace and a speed that's comfortable. Some people can let you peel those layers in a couple of weeks. Others, it might take a year. But the goal is to get to that point. Well, in her instance, I had to go backwards. Normally, I'm going backwards in the sense of I'm trying to get to your childhood. Almost always is something in the childhood. But in this instance, it wasn't that far back. But so we start, say, okay, we start at the time she found out he cheated. And so we go back. We went back to when they had their first children. We went back to their their honeymoon. We went back layer after layer through her past until we finally, maybe a couple of months later, we get to the day they met. And without thinking now, because she is openly trusting and she's talking without measuring her words, she says without even thinking, when I first met him, I didn't like him. And I said, really? I said, so what happened? You know, and she still hasn't caught on to that she's actually said that. She said, well, when I met him, I didn't like him. But here it comes. He was handsome. He had a great career. He was very chivalrous. He did. So he was checking the boxes. So I said, so you didn't like him. Something in you before he ever said a word told you you didn't like him and you ignored it. That's the intuition that God gave you to keep you from going through what you went through. So he gave you a representation of what he thought you needed. And a lot of that may be him. He may be shivers. He may be a guy that opens doors and he, you know, he, he has a good career. But at the core, who was he? Somebody that had to work on himself before he got into a relationship. But he may not have even known that. He didn't, it's, it, that's a real good chance he didn't get into this relationship to cheat on you. But he had some things he needed to work on. So that's just one element. And I'm pretty sure you you, you could talk about it too. So when you think about. I, I do have a different perspective as well. I see that. Mm -hmm. But I also see that even though the intuition was working, there's stuff that he needed to work on to not to not to not just help him, but to show her. Maybe they needed that relationship for each other to show each other that they needed to heal from something. Right. There's, there, there's, there's, there's also, I mean, we can, we can sit here and argue the fact that, you know, we saw the signs, we saw the signs. Yes. Those who are walking in their natural state of mind that are not all the way healed, but more healed than others will understand that and pick it up on others. But people who are working or living in their trauma, probably need those type of people to wake them up and to catapult them into something, into another path. Right. So we can't all, we can't always say, Oh, you know, I should have, or I, I could have, or I would, I, I wish I would have never did this. No. Cause maybe God put that in your path for a reason. Well, the thing is no one is walking around doing something that is detrimental right. to their well being on purpose. So then the question comes, why did I do it? What is it about me? And see, that's the question most people don't want to ask. What, people, because it is easier for me to say they did this to me than to say I did something that put me in the position for them to do it. Why? Because now the work is on me. But also, I tell people all the time, yes, the accountability is uncomfortable. And it's so much easier to place blame and give fault. The problem, though, when you place blame is you also surrender your power. When I sit up and say, you did this to me and you hurt me, now it's up to you to fix it. Because you created a hole and it's up to you to fix it. But if I sit up and say, you know what? You got me. And, 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 and it's twofold. I say, you got me. So I need to really figure out how, what is it that caused, because we know that there was a sign at some point before it happened. I was told by the universe, by the most high, by God, by, by something within me, dwelling within me, that's divine. It told me, don't do that. I ignored it. I need to know why. why? Okay. Second of all, I need to acknowledge that, okay, if there's a flaw in my humanity, then I need to give you the room to have the flaw too. 
Now, this is powerful in the healing process of trauma because what we want to do is hold on to the pain until we see them have pain. Mm -hmm. And that's how we think we're healing. When you really truly know that you're growing is you're looking at them, know they did it to you and you're not having any ill will. It's not like I'm going to let you come do it again, but you know what? I wish you well and I wish you the most happiness. I wish you best on your journey. <laughs> exactly. And then you go work on you and hopefully they go work on them. But we, when we go back deeper, and I, I'm glad that you made that point that there's no wasted movement. It's amazing the level of detail God gave to this creation called life and how it moves because there's no emptiness. What we see as discomfort and pain is actually the awakening. Pain in any form. There's this book by, oh my God. Um, I can't believe I can't draw. As many of his books have I read. But the, the, the name of the book is Where's God When It Hurts? There's purpose in pain. Huh? There's purpose in pain. Exactly. There's purposes in pain. And in this he is explaining that in any s in in any area that pain is a an indicator that something's wrong you have a pain in your stomach you're supposed to go find out what the pain is for so that you can fix it because the pain is simply a symptom same thing emotionally and psychologically. The pain is a symptom of something. And it's it's an indicator that you need to work on something. You need to change something. You need to fix something. And then he uses uh, people who suffer from uh, leprosy. Now, what most people don't realize is leprosy is actually a loss of sensitivity, you know, to where you can't feel. You start to lose the feeling in your nerves. A lot of the damage that biblically everybody talks about didn't come because they just turned leprosy it became because they stopped feeling and so you would do things to harm yourself and you wouldn't feel it so you keep going like for instance he talked about a guy who had leprosy and he worked as a janitor he would mop and because he couldn't feel he would grip it so tight that he would end up with these blisters he said that uh it was a village in some poor part of india that he had served at and he said that the people would come visit and they would come back the next day and a piece of finger would be missing and they would go what happened well what happens is they they lived in poverty so there were there were rodents and the rodents would literally be nibbling their their, their digits off but they couldn't feel it hmm. another man stuck his hand in a barrel of fire didn't feel it burn his hand but so when pain isn't present more damage can be done. The pain is actually there to say, wait, something's wrong, stop. And the problem is some of us have become so addicted to pain by way of trauma that we identify with pain. Something I always say, and then you can, you, you can, you can kind of take it from something I always say is pain is inevitable, suffering is a choice. And people say, what do you mean by that? You're not gonna avoid pain. Pain is there for a reason. And life isn't perfect, so pain is there to guide you. And pain is there to keep you sensitive to your intuition, to your feelings, so that when something happens, you feel it. If you don't, there, there are some things that happen in your life that aren't intensively painful, but somebody dies that you don't know, but you 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 see it on the news and it kind of gets to you. That's just enough to keep the senses well. So that you don't become totally absent and then when something does happen, you just fall apart. It's it's amazing the balance that happens. Life is bringing stuff at you at a way that keeps you going. Here's the thing. You sit up and you, you, you're there and you go through this thing called pain. And you literally ask yourself why. And the simple answer is something's not right. What do I do? How do I do it? But the thing is, most people are literally geared to identify with the pain. So when I say pain is inevitable, but suffering is a choice, pain is the thing you can't control. Suffering is when you identify with the pain so much that it becomes a part of you. 
that it literally follows you around. That when people see your name pop up on their caller ID, they do this. Uh, they, because they know you're about to get on and just unload on them because it's all about what you're going through and you're not seeking the proper solutions. And in your experiences with yourself, with others, because you're a very observant person, how has that played out for you? Well, me personally, uh, the way I grew up, I was one of those people. Well, I, I was one of those people who gravitated towards the suffering. Um, I'm so used to um, pain. So if it wasn't causing me that, whether it be, um, you know, relationships or whatever it was, um, a lot of people would deem that as boring or, you know, they, they become idle and don't know what to do. You know, they're, they're used to drama and chaos and, and, this pain that comes with it. You're, you're, you're literally kind of addicted to it. You, you, you want that. And that's what, I guess, in these, these times, everybody's wanted to use toxicity and, and all this kind of stuff. But a lot of relationships are based off toxicity because of the trauma that we endured as child in, in childhood. So a lot of us are really walking around in relationships that we shouldn't even be in, but we're so addicted to this toxicity. So now we're, we're causing our own suffering and we are used to that. So we don't know any, any, anything different um, until we stop it, find a way to stop it and know that there is something different. And I don't want to say normal, but you know, that isn't of the norm, but something that's in, in a healed, you know, atmosphere. <laughs> but um, I was that person. I, I was my own toxic person. I, I, I was very, um, violent. I caused the drama and all this kind of stuff. And um, I, I see that now as I take my, as I take myself out of the situations that I was in, I take a step back. I look at my journey and where I come from. And I'm like, wow, it wasn't until I took myself out of the situation. I can see the part I played in my own suffering. Like it wasn't anybody else that was making me suffer. I was making me suffer. I was, I was sabotaging my own purpose. Um, nobody else was. It was it was me. And a lot of us do that. We walk around sabotaging um, ourselves unknowingly, um, and we want to, like you said, place blame on other people. But it is it is us. It's in us. It's who we are. Um, and we have to figure out why and how did it become that way. Um, and that's basically what I did in my own healing journey. And when I started to um, take that step forward into um, facing myself because a lot of us don't want to face ourselves. Uh, we're, we're too, we don't want to look at ourselves and we don't want to take a look at ourselves and be authentic with ourselves, which is the reason why I came up with my name <laughs> authentically Tiffany on YouTube. Um, because I was running from myself. I was, I was hiding and covering up and putting a bandaid on stuff that needed to be ripped off. Um, and instead of me, a lot of people like to do it behind closed doors and, and, and not tell anyone what they're going through. Um, I decided to put my whole uh, life and life journey on um, a platform that was viewed by, you know, thousands or millions of people. Um, and I and I gave myself that that stage, and that platform to do that because I was so afraid to do it. Um, and I was so living in fear a lot. Um, not wanting to put myself out there, not not even just in front of the camera, but in my own life. Um, and when it came to professional, my work, in um, my business, and I was I, I'm a, I'm already a really vocal person, um, but I was afraid from the trauma that I that I came from. It always it made me be quiet, and I was um it it, it, made, it shut me up a lot um, until I took a stand and said I'm not doing this anymore. I need to be heard. Um, whether it be in my personal life or my professional life. And I started to take a stand and be more vocal. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> that that's where I, that, that and that's why I kind of want to gear this towards a lot of people. A lot of people are afraid. That's, that's what it comes down to. They're, they're, they're afraid to face yourself. And, and when you face yourself, you have, you have to come to terms with who you are, what you did, why you did things. Um, and why you're doing it to yourself. And then, you know, it, it starts from there. I, I, I think that you made a valid point. It's something that you pointed out too, that I think a lot of people see in, in themselves 
and don't know how to identify it or don't know how to classify it. But you early on in, in what you were explaining said that you felt like if you weren't experiencing some type of hostility, some type of aggression, some type of conflict in your relationship, then you you looked at it a couple of ways. You looked at it as boring. You looked at it as the person maybe not as interested or really doesn't care. Uh, and I've experienced that with someone a long time ago that would literally, because she came from an environment where the person before me physically abused her. And so she would do things to literally provoke me up to hitting me. And when I wouldn't hit back, she would equate that, you don't love me. No, the reason I'm not hitting you is because number one, I love me. Number two, I love you. And so, no, I'm not going to hit you. That's not love, you know, but that's how she had experienced it. That's how she had equated it. That was her. And, and, and the other thing is you have to understand in order to stand something that hostile and that destructive, you have to justify it on a subconscious level in the way you justify it. This is love. This is what happens. And so then if you make it your norm, your norms and standards shift. And so now it's your norm. So when you go off into something where it isn't that, you're going like, wait a minute, why isn't he doing this? Why isn't he doing that? And it can also manifest itself. And I'm going to talk about how it manifests itself in me. Uh, it can also manifest itself in a sense where if you've never experienced true love, when you encounter it, where someone is actually considering you, when someone is actually loving you, that's foreign as well. And it, it seems off and a, a number of different things happen. Sometimes you sit up and say something's not wrong. It doesn't feel right. So you self-sabotage or I don't deserve it. So you self-sabotage, you know, I'm not going to let you destroy. I'm not going to let you break my heart. So I'm going to destroy it before it gets to that point. And it's not purposefully done, but it's done. Now with me, I had abandonment issues because of that. And so everything was about doing whatever I had to do to keep people around. Um, and so I became a great performer. I became a, a great people pleaser. I, I got to the point where everybody was happy except me. And I had to ask myself, is this the life that I want to live? Because here's what I found. And it was devastating that no matter how happy I made them, they still would leave. And the more I squeezed, the faster they left. So either somebody wants to be there or they don't. And you have to give them room and you have to say, okay, I understand. It doesn't mean I don't want you, but I understand that you don't want to be here and, and be okay with that and be strong enough in yourself. I think one of the biggest part of healing, and I think you'll, you, you'll agree, uh, at least to some extent, I think to be the biggest part of healing is finding yourself understanding who you are, being so good with who you are that no matter what anyone else does, I'm good. Doesn't mean it doesn't bother you. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It just means you will never be able to destroy me because I know who I am. And when you get to the point where you are no longer afraid of somebody breaking you, the things you're able to do in life are completely different. The moves you make, the way you think, the way you observe people, the non-judgmental approach you take with dealing with other people. But the beauty of it is everybody's searching for love and the thing that happens that allows it to happen is number one is self-discovery. If I can't discover who I am, if I can't be in a place where I know who I am, I can never really truly experience love because I'm going to do things to destroy it. But if I know who I am, I can embrace people where they are. And the beautiful, the beauty of love is just that. I'm not trying to squeeze you into something and make you be something you're not. I'm accepting you for who you are and challenging you to be better. The same thing I'm doing for me. And so in that thing, that's the thing I had to come to grips with. You're good. You're good. You're good enough by yourself. And this was, I mean, I was probably 40 before I ever had a period of time between breakups where I wasn't with someone. So I, I'm a, I was a serial monogamous. I married, break up, 
go through this period where I just kept a lot of women around me because I wasn't going to be alone. The idea of being alone scared me. So, okay, I want to be with one person, but until I find the next one, I'm going to shower myself with the attention of women. That's going to give me this false sense of uh, of importance and love. They don't love you. They love what you're doing. But it works. So then you get the next person. You get with them. And you're trying to make sure whatever happened the last time doesn't happen this time. But you're not working on you. And so what I had to get to is I'm never going to get where I'm trying to get until I have that period by myself. So now it's these periods, you know, where I've learned to be with me and be okay with it. It's obviously not what I want, but I'm not willing to ever give myself to something that isn't wholly what I want. So the idea of just having somebody to hold a spot until somebody that, that totally went away years ago. So, but, but again, it had to come with self-discovery. It had to come with that. And I had to be willing to admit that my dad hurt me, that there was something broken that needed to be fixed. And if I'm not careful, I can still see little pieces of it come up. But now I know who I am. And I say, no, I got it. I'm good. And I work with myself. But also, this is this blows people's mind. I have a therapist and I have a coach. And people say, you know, you, 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 you've been doing this for X amount of years. You've done, you wrote all these books. Now there's so much you can't see when you're in the throes of things. The forest for the trees things becomes real. You can't see the forest for the trees when you're in the middle of it. So much that you miss because you're in the intent, you're in the intensity of the battle and someone can help you. You you know, this, and you know, that. and like with my therapist, you know, uh, they joke a lot about the fact that, you know, he holds me in this unbelievably high regard uh, for some of the ways I think. I think outside of the box. I'm real big on quantum physics, quantum reality. Um, and so I apply the basic principles of psychology. Plus, I've dissected psychology and focused it and re- reconstructed it uh, so that it serves uh it better serves Afrocentric, the Afrocentric community. But then I look at the possibilities. So to me, nothing is impossible. And so I approach everything with with that in mind. And I believe that we manifest our reality from the moment of conception and thought. And then we we determine how fast we bring it to ourselves by how much we water it with our thoughts, with our anticipation, with our intent. And so when when I start talking to him like that, he goes, oh my God. And so he'll always joke about, Dude, you know, it always blows my mind. You're paying me to sit here when I should be. No, the thing is, you need somebody that you can trust. Number one, that's going to be non-biased. So you don't need the yes person that's going to get you wired up. They did what? And then that, and the next thing you know, they got you over there. And now you're looking for bail money because they done got you wired up. No, you need somebody that can sit up and look at both sides and say, well, have you ever thought of? Well, you do know that. And you go, yeah, you, good point. But to the point that you were making, your healing came in the same way. It came in an understanding of the fact that you were getting results that you didn't want. And the pain, somebody said that the pain stays until you learn the lesson. And it just keeps coming until you realize, oh, like this <laughs> this i'm tired of it and eventually you said if i'm t- well then if i'm tired of what do i do and that's the beginning of healing um you know and like i said you know we, we're going to be talking about trauma a lot because mm-hmm. i think trauma is such a major catalyst and influence for a lot of the things that we consider to be a part of black culture which really isn't black it isn't a part of, part of black culture right my 19th book was born in captivity, psychopathology as a legacy of slavery. 
And it's about the multi-generational transmission of trauma and how we have these behaviors that are heavily associated with us. So we call them a part of black culture, but it's actually pathological behavior associated with the trauma. And we haven't learned that yet. When we understand that if something is counterproductive to us, it's not a natural inherent part of our culture. It's something that has intercepted that. And trauma is the great interceptor. And so it intercepts happiness, it intercepts productivity, it intercepts growth. Um, and love. until you, huh? Is it in love? <laughs> oh, it, it'll, it'll totally destroy that. Yeah. And, and, and so what we have to do is find ways to address the trauma. Right. And I, and I have the same, me and you, um, you and I, we come, our, our backgrounds are a little kind of similar um, growing up. I, and, and I had the same abandonment issues as well with, with my father when he left. Um, and, and, and it wasn't, I wasn't a young child. I, you know, I was in my teens when he left, but um, still the same thing. Um, but I grew, I grew up in a, in a, in a household with my mother that uh, was always, I don't want to say hostile, but uh, she's very controlling, which made me inherent that. So that's what I took into my relationships. I was mm -hmm. overly controlling. And um, that was your way of holding power, at least right. in your mindset. Yeah. It was. It, it, it really was. And and I had that. Nobody's going to tell me this. Nobody's going to do this. And I'm going to run this. And I, I was that woman in that and in, in, in my relationships. And um, I look back and I'm like, wow. But when I transitioned from, and that's, and that's a lot to do with a, a lot of women don't like to admit this. I had to admit it where we are living and walking and maneuvering in our masculinity because of survival mode. Um, and that's what trauma does to you as well. It puts you in that survival mode and now you're no longer living, but you're surviving. And that's what I was doing um, throughout my entire life, surviving. I wasn't really living at all. So right. when I get into these relationships, I'm surviving. And in my survivor mode is I'm I'm the masculine person in this relationship. It's what I say goes. Um, and you're not going to tell me anything different. So and that's and that's what ruined a lot of uh, my relationships with with that. So <laughs> right. And the thing is. It plays out in so many different ways. And again, it, um, you, you talk about. Uh, women, are uh, women operating in their masculinity? Uh, and what's to me equally destructive is our men operating in unbridled force because we're built differently. Our women are more intuitive, naturally uh, connected spiritually, uh, brains operate completely different. A woman's brain moves left to right. A man's brain moves back to front. I mean, uh, front to back. What, what that means is you sense things, you operate, you move, you focus, you operate more off of your emotion. So you're going to tend to be highly reactive in certain situations. Men tend to operate off of how we identify. That's why we place so much emphasis on our work. It's because we operate from sense of accomplishment. Well, we have a very ultimate need. Women, um, there's this book I read in research for my fourth book, which When Your House Is Not a Home, deals with conflict in marriage. Um, and I referred back to it again with book number 23, which was Merging Souls, again, dealing with building strong marriages. Um, and there's a book and it's by Dr. Emerson Egrets and it's called His Needs Hurt. No, it's called Love and Respect. And it tells how women are, are more in tune to feel loved. And the number one need for men is to be respected. And when you're doing these things the way they're supposed to be done, you get both automatically. But when you've got two people driving for what they want, you can a man pushing for respect will make a woman feel unloved. A woman acting out because she doesn't feel love will make a man feel disrespected. And you get this cycle and you can't figure out what's going on because there's a difference. Uh, in the uh, 
in, in the Bible, Paul talks about this in Ephesians. He talks about Ephesians 22, he says, and everybody takes this and totally misconstrues it. You know, wives submit to your husbands. Boy, they love that. <laughs> you know, as Christ submit, as, 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 you know, um, as unto Christ. And then, but it goes on and, and, and it tells, but the greatest command out of this is for the husband. Nobody gets that. The woman said, okay, submit to the husband, but it's not in the submission that the way we're talking about. It's the trusting of his covering. It's saying, I trust you to love me in a way that I'm safe. It doesn't mean I do everything you tell me to do without questioning. I never give you an opinion. I never say it. That's not it. It says, I'm going to trust you to cover me. And in, in all of that, and just the way Christ covers you, that's the way I want you to cover me. Okay. But then it goes with this long diatribe. The hus husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Then it goes into all these different ways that Christ loved the church. And in, in the Greek, it really breaks it down. So in the Greek, you find out that the man is supposed to be a nurturer. Everybody thinks the nurturing is the woman. Nope. Uh, thalpo is a Greek word for nurturing. And, and when you look it up and you study it, it's as the, in the same way that a hen broods over her hatchlings is the way a husband is supposed to brood and cover the wife. So wait a minute now. So it's not just going out and making money and coming home and paying bills that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be speaking into her life, speaking over her life, making her feel safe. I'm supposed to be creating an environment where the greatness in her comes out. Oh, wait a minute. But the whole... And at the end of it, it says, husbands love your wife and wives. What well, it went from su submit in the beginning to at the end, it says, husbands love your wives and wives respect your husbands. And what I've learned, if you study the Bible, um, one of my doctors happens to be in theology. So if you study the Bible, what you understand is there's never a command in the Bible for something people are already doing. So if you sit up and you get a command, it's because you're not doing it. So when it says husbands love your wife, that was a problem with that. Right. In the church in Ephesus, that was a problem with wives being submissive or trusting the leadership of their husbands. And so he's giving them the reason why and telling them exactly what's going on. So but in his needs, I mean, in uh, love and respect, there's this understanding that there has to be this. But the problem is with men, which was my initial point is when we don't feel respected, especially in the black community where there's not enough men, there's not enough authentic manhood being modeled, we trust the natural urgings to fight for it. And we turn on the very ones we were supposed to be protecting. And the devastation is playing out consistently. And people are asking, well, man, you know, men, men black men are just emotional and, and they can't take rejection. That's the end result. The beginning result is the hurt because somewhere in the beginning, somebody left them uncovered. Somebody left them hurt. And in that process, they left them unguided because there's nobody modeling manhood. You see, if you're modeling manhood, you're showing them this. This is what we teach boys that I'm going to let you take it over and we can start kind of wrapping up. But what we teach boys and black men lead is this. The number one principle. There are 11 principles. Number one principle, a black man never harms a black woman under no circumstances, psychologically, emotionally, and definitely not physically. Okay. But we teach them this because remember your identity governs your behavior, how you see yourself in the world. And because we don't have uh, a proper means of socialization. You look at all other groups, they have rite of passages. So young boys are learning over the course of the life, starting at three or four years old, what men in their culture do, how they behave, what they do, what's expected of them. We don't have that. We can't even have a universal definition of what manhood is in the black community. So nobody, everybody's defining manhood on their strengths. So now it's become real simple. It's the body and the bag. The, the, the men know if I get the bag, I can get the woman. And I since I got the bag, I want the baddest woman. So now the women out there are getting surgery so they can have the baddest body. So it's the body and the bag. And there's so much lost in that on both sides of what we're not getting from each other because nobody is modeling it. But at the end of the day, what I tell them, I said, when you're born, say, for instance, you have a twin sister. It's kind of funny because you do have a twin. But say, for instance, you have a twin sister. Say, OK. Say it. 
you know, as you grow in your prepubescent stages, you're going to be pretty much equal. She may even be stronger than you and beat you up. And but what happens at a certain age, you start go, going through puberty, your testosterone levels start to rise. You start to outgrow her. You start to become stronger than her and faster than her. And now you could easily beat her up. But that's not why that's happening. You're going to also find that your voice is changing. It's getting deeper. You're going to find that there's also a natural edginess to you where you have a sense of aggression. That strength isn't meant to harm her. It's meant to protect her. That natural aggression that comes with testosterone is meant to, it's meant so that when it comes time, you have the desire and the will to do it. That it's in you. That if you mess with her, you're going to deal with me. But if nobody's there to direct that and you are feeling unrespected, and nobody feels more disrespected in this world than black men. So now if you're feeling disrespected, what are you going to do? You're going to act out and make somebody respect you. The vast majority, the number one cause in my research on black, black male violence, number one cause, feeling of being disrespected. Not just the black women, when they when they kill one another, it's a sense of being, you go to prison, almost every violent crime, some in some way is interpreted, he, dis, he dissed me. And so how do you deal with that? Number one is you need to be aware of who you are. So it's so important for our young girls to be aware of who they are. So important for our young boys to be aware of them so that we come together. It's hard to come together and love when you haven't even discovered yourself at a level that you love yourself. Because the truth of the matter, if you really talk to them, they, they're not really, because if I love myself, it's hard for me to look at someone that looks like me and harm them. Right. So we, we, we're going to kind of bring it down, but I want you to kind of give your closing statements on it. But there's so much we're going to touch on this. We're going to touch on so much more. There's so much going on within our community. Uh, but I think that, you know, what I would like to do next, we, we, and we'll we'll have a brainstorm on it. But what I would like to see is I would like to see this conversation continue, but parlay off into specifically relationships. And how it's damaging and the damage that's being caused. And how how do we handle it from here uh what do we do um from you know where we are now as individuals you and i i think that we have come to a place where we are prepared for what comes next in our lives uh but so many people aren't and how do we get them there yeah that's uh pretty pretty deep <laughs> i mean because the, the rabbit hole is deep um yeah. this what you all touched on i agree with wholeheartedly um but the gist of everything runs right back to childhood trauma that's why i wanted to start off with this because um everything that you're talking about um just as these young boys who have no direction they don't know how to be men they don't know um they weren't they didn't have their rites of passage. They didn't, all of this is because the parents are in their trauma. So, and then they get their trauma from their parents. So it's a never ending cycle, but who's gonna be the one to stop it? Right. And um, that is what is very, very hard for a lot of people to, um, to basically just to grip, take a hold of themselves and say, I want to stop it. A lot of people don't have that courage or that um, enthusiasm or that no. motivation to want to be, they want, they, they want to be better, but they don't know how to be better. So they right. rather be comfortable in their trauma. Right. Uh, it's because it's what they're know. It's what, it's what they're familiar with. Right. Uh, and, that, uh, and that unknown is scary. What you mentioned, and I want you to elaborate on it. It's so important that that people understand this, that you say they're scared. Uh, and and when, when I think about it, one of, one of the fears that I see is if I stop being hostile, if I stop being aggressive, if I stop being the violent one, then people will walk over me. People are going to hurt me. People are going to take advantage of me. This is how I defend myself. I'm going to hurt you before you hurt me. And we're going to, we're just going to call it love. Right. And, and, and that, and that was me. I, I was, 
I was literally that woman, um, hostile, mean, angry, um, violent. And it was because I didn't want to be hurt. I was hurt my entire life, which I was, you're, you're in, you're in denial when you, when a lot of people say, no, I, I was fine. I had a good childhood. I didn't, I didn't suffer from anything, but when they sit down and realize this is why you're acting the way you're acting, because you were hurt in your childhood and you covered it up and you said you were fine because you didn't want to feel it. I was that person. I didn't want to feel it. I'm fine. Nothing's wrong with me. I'm normal. Everybody else has the issue. Right. I, that's where it comes from. Um, and then you, you literally have to stop and look and like, no, I, I was hurt. I, and, and I am scared mm-hmm. of changing and being this other person. Cause now me being a woman, how I was, I didn't want to lose that control. I didn't want to stop being the mean person. Cause if I'm stopped being mean, they're going to run all over me. And then they're going to tell me what to do. And I don't want to, because I'm the woman that does that tells everybody else what to do. Cause that's right. who I am in my mind. But I had to stop and say, look, no. That's not who I am. I wasn't that person. I, I was another person, but this made me this person. Right. So who am I? So I had to uncover that. And but but this is what it all goes down to is trauma from grandparents, grandparents, parents, their their parents, and it's just a never-ending cycle. Um, so me having three daughters, um, I knew I didn't want to pass on the way I was because I was the, I'm just gonna be very I'm very honest. I'm a very honest person. I was a very ugly person. My, 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 the way I did things, I was very mean. I was very, I, I was cold. I was, I was, I was heartless. I had no emotion. Like, and I, and I, and I, and I got upset when other people would show that emotion, like when they would cry or they would feel like, stop crying. What are you crying for? I was that person, like, get over it, suck it up. This, this world is a cold world. Get over it. <laughs> so, but I had to understand that was me in my trauma. I have to understand that it's okay to feel. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be soft. It's okay to be a woman. I'm a woman with emotion. And I didn't want, never wanted to show it because that was weak to me. Having those emotions were a sign of weakness. And that's trauma. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to uncover a lot of that within myself to understand that I didn't want to pass it on to my children um, and I was going to do something different because my children are going to go through life understanding and knowing what it is to be a woman, to be okay in her femininity and to, um, not carry on these toxic cycles that I had, that I had kept and held on for so long. Right. And, and so, like I said, I, I think that we can come back to this next week and go back into childhood trauma and, focus on the relationship um, because the relationship is just a play out of the experience. Uh, the trauma is really guiding it. I mean, on a cellular level, literally every move, every thought, every behavior is instinctive. And we're going to talk about some terms like implicit uh, memory, traumatic memory, and just how emphatically forceful they are in your behavior. It wasn't, for instance, when you were doing what you were doing, you weren't sitting up saying, you know what? I'm just going to be completely cruel and ruin my life and my relationships. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. That's not what you were doing. You were living out life based on the paradigms created by your experience, but also the physiological makeup created by the experience that most people most people don't realize that your trauma is literally recorded not in your mind but in your cells it's literally physiologically stamped and that's why you can go from here to here and not realize you've done it because it's programmed cellularly to sit up and produce certain behaviors certain thought patterns and so much more but that sort of highlights the brilliance of God in that with all of that, that we both talked about that we've been through and some of the behaviors that were definitely non-conducive to producing pro-social, uh, a pro-social reality and environment and ultimately relationships, that we can go from that to go to being healed. That we are that strong, we're that resilient and we can recover. Uh, it takes work. It takes commitment. It takes the willingness. And you, you mentioned it several times to admit 
that there's work that needs to be done. Something's not right. And it's not everybody else's fault. Um, That's the beginning of it. And so, again, you know, I'm glad that we uh, made the commitment to get this thing going. Uh, I'm looking forward to where it goes. There's so much to unpack that literally we'll be here again next year and feeling like we haven't even gotten started that much. Uh, But I hope in the process that we give people what they need to be able to do that. Now, for anybody watching this, in the description box of this video, whether you're watching it on Anchor, whether you're watching it on Spotify, or if it makes it to YouTube, haven't made that choice yet, decision yet. But if wherever it's at, there's going to be information on how to reach both of us. Tiffany has her own site. Uh, we're going to have that information in the description box. But she's also a part of the Visionetics team. Uh, so she is listed on the Visionetics site, which is my my brainchild, my baby for the last 30 years. And so I'm excited about what we're doing. Uh, the goal is to heal, is to make an impact, is to make a change. Uh, I believe we're all here for a reason. Uh, I think, and like I told you, I believe in synergy. I believe in the merging and syncing of energy uh, because there's just certain things she brings to the table that I don't. And uh, I think that works uh, both ways. And I think that with that, we are able to touch lives and relate to people and make some things clear. Um, And so I'm excited about it. So again, we want to thank you for allowing us to interrupt your life for an hour and we're going to be doing it for a while so definitely click the like button click the share button subscribe all that good stuff that you do on spotify and we'll be back to see you again in next week and for me tiffany we're out so long thank you